Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. I want to welcome you as we continue these reflections on Jesus Christ truly present in the Most Holy Eucharist. There's no greater gift that God's given us than His real presence. I have Jesus here on the altar with us as we look at you, Jesus. We love you. And the Lord loves to hear you say that. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you are here. Jesus, you are my friend. Jesus, you are my Savior. Jesus, you are my King. Lord, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit as we enter in this time of Eucharistic revival, as we awaken from the slumber and we come back to fervor and love and devotion to the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. So come, Holy Spirit, bring light as we reflect upon the church's teaching. Come clear back to the apostolic age and to the early church fathers and throughout history how the church has taught and believed that you are truly present. You are the new Passover lamb. You are the lamb that was slain. You are the great high priest. You are priest and victim. And you call us to Holy Communion. So again, welcome. As we are with Jesus here, the King of Kings has invited you to this time to reflect on his real presence. If you haven't watched the last two videos, I encourage you to watch those. I talked about Jesus as the, the unblemished lamb of sacrifice um, and how the Passover lamb of the Old Testament obviously is fulfilled in Jesus who is the New Testament Passover lamb. Um, and I talked about basically how his, you know, he was slaughtered just like the Old Testament lamb was slaughtered. His blood is not on doorposts but on us. And at every mass, just like they ate the lamb at the Passover meal, at every Mass, we eat the Lamb of God. Um, we enter into Holy Communion with God um, in a special, special way because He's given us such a gift. And it makes perfect sense because Jesus wants to be one flesh with us. So He literally makes it possible in the Eucharist to come into our flesh so that we can allow Jesus to be flesh in our flesh and to live through us his word became flesh, right? The word became flesh. So we want to let God become flesh through our flesh. That the invisible God becomes visible. The inaudible God becomes audible. The untouchable God becomes touchable. Because are we not the body of Christ, right? And so every Christian accepted the presence, uh, or the doctrine of the real presence. And in the last few teachings, I taught about uh, uh, the... I taught about the early church fathers. And you can, you can also watch that video on the early church fathers. Which basically means those who lived just after the post-apostolic fathers, meaning just after the Acts of the Apostles. Those who were apostles, like we talked about Irenaeus, we talked about Antioch, uh, sorry, St. Ignatius of Antioch. We talked about a little bit about St. Polycarp, St. Uh, Justin Martyr. Um, these are people that lived, some of them even knew, John the Apostle. So we talked in there how virtually every Christian in the early church uh, accepted the doctrine of the real presence until the Reformation, right, was in the 1500s, right, 1517, etc. Um, remember Martin Luther himself, if you read some of Martin Luther's writings, I don't think he ever intended. Um, he actually had great reverence for our Blessed Mother, even. He talks about her perpetual virginity, he talks about her motherhood. Um, this is the early, you know, the reformer himself, Martin Luther, was, a, by the way, a priest. Um, and we, he has many writings. If you read 
some of, not many, but if you read some of his writings, you can see he talks about Jesus um, in the Eucharist. It says further reformation happened that the teaching of the Eucharist began to kind of fall by the side more and more, just as the Blessed Mother kind of fall by the side, uh, the, 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 the intercession of the, we believe in the communion of saints, like that kind of fell by the side. So little by little, without that magisterium to continue passing on from generation to generation, the full deposit of the faith, little by little, things began to be lost. It would kind of like, I always explain again, the, 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 the passing on of the faith um, from generation to generation to generation, which is kind of what we're talking about here. The passing on of the, the teaching of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. You know, if you think about, like, imagine if Jesus like, took a thumb drive, put it in his heart, downloaded everything on there necessary for our salvation, and gave it to Peter and the Twelve. Their job's not to add to it or take away from it. Their job's to protect and guard it and pass it on to the next generation. So that we would believe every Peter, which would be our popes, and our bishops, co-workers with obviously Christ and the priests, are safeguarding and passing on from generation to generation the full deposit of the faith. Not part of it, but the full deposit of the faith from one generation to the next. Now, the magisterium, which is the teaching authority and office of our Catholic Church, that's their job, is to protect, guard, and pass on. Now, popes, bishops, and priests will give opinions, but their opinion has no weight or bearing on the actual revelation or deposit of faith that Jesus gives to us, which is, by the way, in its fullest uh, exposition in our scriptures and in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which you can read. Um, it's right there. It's all down. We don't teach something against Scripture. We don't, we don't um, add to Scripture or take away from Scripture. Um, now, throughout the ages, the doctrines and teachings of that deposit of faith, which was handed on to the earliest Christians till today, has been expounded upon and made more sense of. We have got, we've come up with words like uh, transubstantiation to describe the mystery of the Eucharist, which we talked some about in the last video, okay? So, all Christians accepted the doctrine of the real presence um, up until the Reformation. So, I mean, obviously, people, you know, doubted and questioned, I'm sure, but the church has always, basically, what I'm saying is the church essentially taught that always. So, all the churches that broke away from the Catholic Church before the Reformation still believed in Jesus' real presence in the Eucharist. So, we have Nestorian. Uh, Nestorian and the Eucletians who separated from the Catholic Church in the 5th century. So, we have Nestorius and the Eutetians. Eucletians, I can't know how to pronounce it, well, sorry. Um, they separated around the 5th century from the Church as well as the Coptic, Armenian, and Orthodox in the 11th century. So the Coptics in the 5th century, Armenians 5th century, the Orthodox in the 11th century, um, there was obviously separation from the Catholic Church. Now, when I say Roman Catholic Church, remember, there are many rites in the Catholic Church. The Roman rite is one of many different rites under the Holy Father that are Catholic. You know, there are many different rites within the Catholic umbrella that are valid churches. The Catholic, I mean, valid Catholic churches. 
you know, um, we could talk about that at another time, but obviously the Orthodox broke off in the 11th century, um, none of which has been in communion with Rome since then. They still believe these churches that broke off in the 5th century and even the Orthodox still believe in the real presence. Now, how could we possibly come to the conclusion that Jesus is not truly present in the Eucharist right here on this altar? If you watch the last videos again, it's clear the early church fathers believe. There's evidence through history. There's evidence of miracles. But these churches right here that I just talked about, uh, Nestorius um, in the 5th century broke off. The Coptics, the Armenians, the Orthodox in the 11th, they still believe in the real presence of Jesus as we believe in the, in the Catholic Church. You know, they just have broken off from Rome, but they still believe. And they, have, they actually have a valid priesthood, which means they have a valid Eucharist. Okay? So this demonstrates that the doctrine was part of the Christian deposit of faith at least as far back as the 5th century before these splits occurred. So clear back, clear back, they believed, okay? So Martin Luther himself in 1517-ish, etc., Martin Luther himself confirms that the early church fathers unanimously taught the real presence. The founding father of the Reformation himself taught that the church fathers unanimously believed and taught the real presence. And uh, as a quote here, I'm, I'm going to read it because it's from Martin Luther himself. It says, All of the fathers, as many as you can name, not one has ever spoke about the sacrament as these fanatics do. <laughs> none of them such, none of them uses such an expression as it is simply bread or wine. So he's calling fanatics those who don't believe what the early church actually was teaching. This is Martin Luther. None of them uses such an expression as it's simply bread and wine or Christ's body and blood aren't present. Yet this subject is so frequently discussed by them, it is impossible that they should not at some time have let slip such an expression as it's simply bread. Or not that that the body of Christ is physically present. Or like, since they are greatly concerned not to mislead the people. Actually, they simply proceed to speak as if no one doubted that Christ's body and blood are present. Certainly among so many fathers and so many writings, a negative argument should have turned up at least once, as happens in other articles. But actually, they all stand uniformly and consistently on the affirmation, uh, on the affirmative side. That is amazing. <laughs> that is a quote from Martin Luther himself talking about what the early Christians actually believed about Jesus and the early leaders of the church, what were saying about that this is not bread. This is the miracle of the Eucharist. This is Jesus. The early church has always taught this, my brothers and sisters. Let's return to our fervor. Come to the Adoration Chapel. Come to Mass. We fall on our knees. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
You know, where do you hear the word holy, holy, holy? Book of Revelation. What else is in Revelation? Revelation 5, the lamb's on the altar as though he'd been slain. There's white robes in Revelation. There's candlestands. There's incense in Revelation. There's the prayers of the saints in Revelation. There's the holy, holy, holy in Revelation. Sounds like the Mass, doesn't it? The Eucharist that we celebrate. Come and see. Come and be with Jesus. So suppose for a moment that the Catholic doctrine of the real presence is false. Just suppose for a moment that our teaching is false. Jesus must have foreseen that the whole church would embrace this false doctrine and fall into idolatry. We would be, as Catholics, Orthodox, all of these churches would be idolatry. We would all be worshiping bread if what our teaching is, is false. If we're teaching false teaching, we're all teaching idolatry. But we have so much proof and evidence from the early church fathers and scripture and the church's teaching that the church has always taught this. It's not like a surprise. Again, it wasn't until the Reformation where churches started to lose this sense of the real presence of the Eucharist. So Jesus would have known that the very words he spoke in John chapter 6, or at least the Last Supper, would have led us into this idolatry. Because if you read John 6, you're like, all right, Lord, you need to bring clarity. And actually, the apostles were kind of like, hey, Lord, this is a tough teaching. In John 6, 6, 6, it says they couldn't handle it, and they all left. They walked away. They walked away from Basically, John chapter 6, they walked away from the Eucharist. Why? Because they couldn't understand it. And did Jesus say, hey guys, wait a minute. Hey, come back, come back, come back, come back. I didn't mean that. He didn't say it. He said over and over, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, and they were all like, Lord, you better be clear here. Like, what are you trying to say? Okay. There's a lot of mystery here, guys. A lot of mystery. And the early church wasn't just like, oh, he just meant it was a symbol. Martin Luther himself, as I just read to you, Martin Luther himself said that they all unanimously taught the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. So why would Jesus have deliberately used language that he knew Christians would misinterpret? Why would Jesus have allowed his followers to be so horribly mistaken when he could have prevented it with simple words of explanation. It's simply impossible that the divine teacher, look, Jesus right here, the divine teacher himself, it's impossible that he was like just a clumsy teacher and proclaimed his doctrine that led his students into error. That's not the case. Jesus meant what he said. Suppose again Jesus intended to be understood figuratively, and that the apostles taught a symbolic understanding of the Eucharist. So let's say Jesus just meant this figuratively, like, ah, it's just a symbol of my body and blood. It's not really my body and blood. And then let's say the apostles taught it symbolically to understand the Eucharist. How can we explain the development of the doctrine of the real presence? If Christians first believed in the symbolic presence, then the doctrine of the real presence must have appeared as novel and unheard of. So what I'm trying to say here is that's not what the early church fathers taught. They didn't teach figuratively or symbolically. 
And it must have been considered false and heretical because it's diametrically opposed to what the early Christian leaders, Justin Martyr, uh, Irenaeus, Ante Ignatius of Antioch, Polycarp, um, it's diametrically opposed to what all Christians are supposed to have believed as a revealed truth. You know, it must have even appeared most dangerous heresy because it teaches idolatry. Adoring bread? Like, we're adoring bread. No, we're not adoring bread. We're adoring Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Look, this is Jesus. We're not adoring bread and wine as God himself. Finally, it must have appeared altogether incredible, contrary to the senses, to reason and to faith. Okay, so what, what, what I'm saying is trying to say here is obviously these apologists, by title, apologists to, to give a defense of, these apologists of the early church, as we talked in the last video, and the little reflections that I gave, and even Martin Luther himself, are saying they defended and unanimously agreed that it's not a symbol and it's not figurative. And so here we are in 2022 in this Eucharistic revival. Who wants Eucharistic revival? Who wants to see our churches packed and full in adoration of the Lord and the glorified Jesus in the real presence? I want to see that happening right now. Human nature doesn't change. Uh, the same reason that makes the real presence appear unbelievable today would have made it appear unbelievable then. Same ideas today. The reason people doubt today is because the same reason they doubted back, they would have doubted back then. Uh, the same object, object, objections people raise today, it looks and tastes like ordinary bread and wine. It's simply impossible for God to be present under the appearance of bread and wine. It's impossible. People would have raised the same thing then, said the same idea. Like, this is crazy. This is why in John 6.66 they walked away. With these, all these disadvantages that like basic human nature would call into question, like, you know, like, like, look, you see bread, right? You see a host, the, the, the bread, you see the bread, but it's the body of Christ. It's consecrated, transubstantiated. It's not just bread you're looking at right now. It's the real body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. So again, with all these disadvantages of our human nature, if you were to try to um, you know, make sense of all this mystery. You know, such a novel doctrine could have never been embraced by a small number of reasonable people, much less than the whole church. So what they're saying is, there's no way people would have just run believing this right out of the gate unless it was taught by the leaders of the day. And it was taught and it was defended, and it was passed on. I mean, it's easy to basically walk away and say, yeah, right, that's our, our, our limited human understanding. But if Jesus taught it, and the apostles taught it, and the apostolic, post-apostolic fathers taught it, and Martin Luther himself in 1517 is saying this, the Orthodox teaches today. Like, if all these people are teaching this, I mean, come on, you got to kind of ask some questions about... Huh, it must be true. I mean, if they're all teaching this, which is what we believe. 
So Christians could never have believed this doctrine unless they taught it was revealed by God himself, as I just said, whose divine authority removes difficulty, faith in the real presence of Jesus. So just look at him and say with me, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I hope in you. Jesus, I love you. Lord, increase my love for your real presence in the Eucharist. So this belief uh, could have never taken root in the church if Jesus himself had not revealed it and delivered it to his apostles to pass on. Remember that those who rejected the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist are departing from the clear evidence of Scripture and 1,500 years of virtually unanimous Christian teaching. That is a powerful statement right there. We just read Martin Luther, right? 1,500 years the church has taught this before there was a, a real fracture in belief in the real presence. So Christian teaching by right, by right it's not, it's not Catholics who should, de, who should defend themselves for holding fast to this doctrine, but rather those who aren't believing in the real presence, um, those who... They're the ones that need to defend themselves from the teaching of the church and the apostolic fathers. Because if you read, it's hard to deny. And even Martin Luther himself is saying that. So non-Catholics, or, or for that matter, I mean, there are some non-Catholics that do believe, and I invite them to come. Come and, come and join so they can receive communion. So non-Catholics must justify, you know, why they prefer the recent inventions of the reformers which would be the 1500s, um, to the ancient and broken teaching of the apostolic church. Okay? So I hope this gives all of you something to chew on and ponder. And my, my intention of giving these reflections is not, obviously, to attack um, any people or groups of people, but it's to invite people to think deeper about what the church has always taught and invite people to come to Jesus in the Eucharist because we are in an age of Eucharistic revival. And Jesus, we look at you and we say, O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine.